Bibles to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 6 through 18 this evening. And if you're here for the first time, we're doing character studies on Sunday night, and we're studying the character of Ruth. We started last week with our first study. But uh, verses 6 through 18 tonight, trying to hide our mistakes, trying to hide our mistakes. Uh, we can try all we want, but God sees everything. There's nothing that we can hide from God. Now, as we started last week with Ruth, you could say the story of Ruth started out on a bad note. There was a famine. There was disappointment. There was death. And it brought great losses to Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. But in spite of it all, light began to shine through that dark time. And it happens... That while in the middle of devastation, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, makes a decision to go back home. Home was Bethlehem. And this decision now puts Ruth on the front, of, on front stage. She comes out of behind the scenes to center stage in the story by making a decision that brought her out of a lot of ruin into some wonderful rewards. Rewards so great that Ruth could have never dreamed of them in all of her wildest fantasies and desires. And Ruth's decision came about because of Naomi's trip back to Bethlehem. The name Naomi means pleasantness. Pleasantness, I should say, pleasantness. Yet, up to now, she wasn't experiencing much pleasantness. So let's begin now in chapter 1 with verse 6. And it reads, then she arose with her daughters, and speaking of Naomi, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So when Naomi, Naomi gets word that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again after years of famine, that's what finally moved Naomi and her daughters-in-law to leave Moab and to go back to her homeland, Bethlehem. There are many lessons to be learned from Naomi's experience. And there are two important particulars in this message. First, we see the grace of God. And then, uh, because the Lord blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again, which enabled them, enabled them to produce bread, this was a work of divine grace. Israel had been in the grip of a famine because of their sin. So to give them bread again after the sin, that's an act of grace on God's part. The Hebrew word translated visited is sometimes used in a sense of judgment in Scripture as well as a blessing, a sense of blessing. The context of the Scripture will determine if it's judgment or blessing. In Job 35, 15, it speaks of a visitation of divine judgment when it says he has visited in his anger. But here it speaks of a visitation of divine blessing because it's a visitation that brought bread to the land, to Bethlehem. Any visitation from God that brings blessing is a visitation of God's grace for men because men, hey, we don't deserve any blessing from God. Nothing whatsoever. The second particular that we see here in verse one or verse six is the gift of God. First, it was the, 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 the grace of God. Now, and then we see the gift of God. God giving. God giving the people bread shows the gift of God. 
when it comes to the matter of salvation of the soul. The word giving tells us the bread was free from God. He wasn't selling the bread to the people. He didn't make the people earn this bread. They didn't have to do anything to receive this bread. God brought the rain that ended the famine and allowed the grain to grow in order to produce the bread. And how well this text about God giving the bread to the people represents the giving of salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says the gospel is a free gift. We don't have to earn it. We can't earn it. We don't have to do anything for it. God gives us salvation free. Now, it cost Jesus his life. It cost him much suffering upon the cross. In John chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus spoke about salvation in terms of the gospel. Being bread. It's the bread from, he's the bread from heaven. Being bread given to the people. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, speaking of Jesus, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, speaking of himself. And Jesus, the bread from God, was born in Bethlehem. That's the home of Naomi where the bread was given by God in our text. But it says that Naomi heard. She heard in Moab. She was in Moab when she heard, when she got the good news that God had given bread to her land. And this means that somebody had brought the message of this good news to her in Moab. And this gives us some lessons that have strong gospel applications. These, these lessons concern, first of all, the truthfulness of what was being said. The message dealt with where the bread was to be found. And it dealt with who was giving this bread. And it dealt with the generosity of it, too. And it all speaks to us about the needed message of the gospel. All these things need to be faithfully proclaimed. But so many men fail to declare the message of God's word truthfully and faithfully. They tell us, oh, that the bread of life, it can be found in a lot of places. Where there really isn't anything but chaff, the useless part of the wheat. Oh, you can find eternal life in Buddha. You can find eternal life in Joseph Smith or Mohammed, as well as Christ. There are many roads that lead to heaven. Biggest lie the devil can tell you. And you better find out the truth. Jesus is not one of many saviors. He's the only savior. Why does he have the right to claim that? He's the only one who ever died on a cross for our sins. He's the only one who ever resurrected from the dead. Everybody else is still in their grave. These false teachers, they tell us that bread is not a gift. Oh, it's something that you can earn. Hey, just be baptized, you're going to go to heaven. No, it's not. Make your confirmation. Be, join a church. Be a member of a church. Do other things. That'll get you into heaven. No, it won't. Jesus said, unless you're born again, he says, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Born again in Christ. And if the message is not proclaimed truthfully, if the word of God is not taught truthfully, men won't receive the true bread of life for their souls. Naomi would have never left Moab and gone back to Bethlehem for that bread if what she had been told was not the truth. And you will never make it to heaven unless you receive the truth of God's word. 
For Jesus Christ is the only Savior, the only way to heaven, the only mediator between God and man. Then we see in verse 7, secondly, the trust in the message that she received. Look at verse 7. Therefore, is telling us what was said in verse 6. Therefore, Naomi went out from the place where she was, which was Moab, her and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. That's Bethlehem. You see, Naomi trusted the message about the bread. She heard there was bread back in Bethlehem. They were, they were starving there in Moab because of the famine. You know, it's a picture of life. You know, in life, we are starving for God. But people are looking for it in all the wrong places. And they merely exist day to day instead of living, truly living with God and for God. She believed in what she heard. Thus, she acted accordingly. Her response, leaving Moab to go to Bethlehem because she heard there was bread there, it shows the importance of the trust and the evidence of the trust. Many people say, oh, I believe in God and I believe in the Bible. But their life says contrary. They don't live for God. They act like the unbeliever. They walk and talk like the unbeliever. There's no evidence of, of that belief in their life. But she heard, she believed, she acted accordingly because she left Moab. The importance of the trust is in the fact that the message wouldn't have done Naomi any good if she hadn't believed the message. A Bible doesn't do us any good. A lot of people own Bibles. They make nice decorations on coffee tables and end tables. But it's not going to do you any good if you do not read it and believe it and put it to the trust, to trust in what it says. It's the same with the gospel. It's not going to do anybody any good if the message in the gospel isn't believed and applied. You have to put your trust in Jesus to be saved. Many people have heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ, but they don't believe it. The proof of Naomi's trust in what she heard, Naomi's proof in the trust in the message, is that she left Moab to go to Bethlehem. A lot of people say that they've trusted in Jesus for salvation, but again, I've already said, their behavior doesn't show the evidence of that trust, of their trust. They don't leave Moab. In other words, that represents the old life. Naomi left the old life in Moab and went to Bethlehem where the bread was so that she could live. People don't live the old life to, to go to, to, with God's people to God's land. Now, while this passage illustrates salvation, it also exposes sin. Because here we see the motivation of Naomi in going back to Israel. Her motivation was bread. For physical need. And it's like a lot of people. They go to God because they have a need. Oh Lord, I'm in trouble right now. I need you to help me. I need you to, to help me with my rent or some physical need. Or, or I'm in trouble and Lord, help me. And God in his grace at times will do that. And then after he's helped them, thank you Lord, I'll see you later. I don't need him anymore. 
And that's what Naomi was doing here. She was going to, 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 to uh, feed her physical appetite, not her spiritual appetite. The moment Naomi went back to Bethlehem, it was a, delin- a delinquent moment. Because you see, Naomi and her family should have never been in Moab in the first place. But once she was there, they should have gone back way before they were going at this moment. And Naomi experienced great losses because she waited so long before deciding to go back to Bethlehem. And a lot of people lose so much in this life because they won't have anything to do with God. This world takes from them. The Bible says that the Satan came to rob, steal, and destroy. And a lot of people's lives are, 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 are destroyed. Things of, great losses have incurred because they've chosen to reject God. She experienced great losses because she waited so long before she decided to go back to Bethlehem. God's land. And failure to obey results in great losses. But even though you have lost a lot because of your disobedience, don't feel like it's useless to ever obey God again. You might think, hey, I've lost everything, so it's too late to to go back to God. It's too late to, to, to make it right with God again. It's never too late. And man, as long as you still have breath in your lungs, you can make, a, 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 you know, make it right with God. As long as you're still breathing, you need to start obeying God. And it's better to go back to Bethlehem late than never at all. And the longer you put off obeying the word of God, the harder it's going to become. Never say it's too late to go back to where God wants you. You might be in a place in your life right now where you know God doesn't want you to be, and you shouldn't be. You might be surprised at how much is still left in his storehouse for you that you can still have and that you can still save by shutting the door after losing a lot. If Naomi's family had returned many years earlier, three lives might have been saved. Remember, three lives were lost in Moab in our last study. But even though three lives were lost, never give up. There could have possibly been a fourth life lost if she hadn't left when she did. Save it. Save it, and you'll discover you saved a lot. In Naomi's case, she thought she had lost everything because we'll see later a wonderful blessing came, in, came to Ruth, having a child who was in the line of David and Jesus. To go to, jo- to go to Judah, Naomi went out of Moab. You see, in order to do something, to go somewhere, you've got to let go of what's behind you. See, that was a problem with Lot's wife. The angel said, hey, get out of here. Get out of Sodom. And don't look back. What does does Lot's wife do? She looks back. Because, see, she was still holding on to the old life. She was holding on to what God says, let go. I have something better for you. And she turned back, and in disobedience, she was turned into a pillar of salt. A monument of disobedience is what she became. If heaven is going to be gained, if you, if, if you expect to go to heaven, you're going to have to let go of this world. There can't be a returning, there can't be a going anywhere until you let go. 
If heaven's going to be gained, the world has to be rejected. The Apostle Paul said, therefore, come out from among unbelievers. That's the world. And that's exactly what Naomi did here. It says, because she set out, in verse 7, she set out. That is, she left from Moab to go to Judah. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, you cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God in money. In 1 John 2, 15, John said, if anyone loves the world, notice the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Naomi didn't start her trip back home by herself. Her two daughter-in-laws went with her. So three women start this trip from Moab to Bethlehem. Her two daughters-in-law went back, or uh, going back with her speaks well of, of Naomi's behavior. Naomi, Naomi had obvious been, obviously, obviously been a gracious woman in her relationship with her two daughters-in-law. Ruth and Orpah, her two daughters-in-law, they were very drawn to, they were attracted to Naomi because she wasn't a cranky old woman. She wasn't unfriendly. She wasn't rude. She wasn't hard to get along with. And it says, when Naomi arose to go back to the land, others went with her. Naomi's obedience improved the behavior of others. See, how she acted, how she lived, it affected the others. Her character helped to lift the character and the goals of others. And you can't lift people to a higher level than the level that you're on. In drawing her daughters-in-law to go with her to, to Judah, Naomi had just the opposite influence on the people that her late husband, Elimelech, had on people. Her husband influenced people, and especially his own family, to backslide and to leave the land of Judah to go to Moab. But Naomi influences people from, from, to, to go from Moab who want to go to Judah. And we all need people like Naomi in our lives who influence us to go to the right places, to do the right, to do the right things. We all need to be like Naomi and influence people to be obedient rather than disobedient, like Elimelech was. And then after Ruth and Orpah made up their mind to follow Naomi from Moab to Bethlehem, their sincerity, though, for going there was tested. And remember, every decision that we make will be tested. In other words, our motivation for what we do is tested. Why are you doing it? Every commitment we make will be challenged. Every decision will be argued. Every profession of faith will be protested. protested. Hey, even Jesus was tested severely for 40 days after he was baptized. And Jesus tested those who said they would follow him. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. For example, in Luke 9, 57 and 58, it says, as they journeyed on the road, Someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. How many of you heard say that, and maybe even yourself at one time, and found it pretty difficult, and hopefully made your way back? But this guy says, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, 
and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The man's desire was good to follow Jesus, but he was tested. When Jesus, what Jesus said implied, hey man, there might not be any housing to stay in, nowhere to live. Are you willing to pay that kind of price? Ruth and Orpah were severely tested as well as to their motivation for why they were going back to Bethlehem. Now, whether Naomi gave these three tests knowingly or unknowingly, we don't know. But either way, it, it condemns Naomi because she gave some poor advice urging her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab and the idolatry that was in the land. Nonetheless, the tests are the same whether Naomi knew that she was giving them or not. Look at verses 8 through 9 now, and we'll see the first test. Verses 8 and 9. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to your mother's house. In other words, go back home to where your mother is to live in, in Moab. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and they wept. So the first test of, uh, of Orpah's and, and Ruth's uh, sincerity to go to Bethlehem was prosperity. Naomi told her daughters-in-law that, hey, it would be more prosperous for you guys to go back to Moab than to go ahead into Judah. Your parents are there. Your mothers are there. You could, you know, get remarried over there. So now we're going to look at the specific areas of prosperity that Naomi promised would surely come to, their, to her daughters-in-law if they stayed in Moab and not followed her back to Bethlehem. The specific areas that Naomi referred to that gave promise of prosperity in Moab was first dealing with relatives. She said in verse 8, notice, go back to your mother's house. Return to your mother's house. In the days of the book of Ruth, daughters usually lived with their mothers in their mother's house or tent, while the sons lived with their fathers in their, in their father's house or in their tent. And this is why Naomi mentioned only the mothers here, not both mothers and fathers. And the thought here is that it was more promising for the daughters-in-law to go back to their own mother and live with her than to travel and live with their mother-in-law, Naomi, in Bethlehem. You see, she's telling him, go back to Moab, which was not the will of God. To go back to a land that's filled with idolatrous worship. Ruth and Orpah had houses to go to if, she went, if they went back to Moab. They might be more welcome there. They might have an easier life there. You know, and, and, you know rather than, than going to Bethlehem. They wouldn't be turned away there. Naomi suggests their own mothers would be more agreeable to them than, the, than a mother-in-law. Especially when their own mothers had houses and their mother-in-law wasn't sure that she had a place in Bethlehem. She didn't know where she was going. At least going back home to mom's house, she had a, they had a place to lay their head. Naomi didn't know if they, she was going to go to find a place to lay her head in Bethlehem. She didn't know if she had a place there that she would be able to call her own. You see, to the eye of the flesh, living with their own mother promised a lot better prospects materially than going with Naomi. 
It's, you know, and you sit and you go, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to have it better off if I go back home. You know, I have a place to live. I got somebody there who loves me. I got better opportunities, though you're in a land of idolatry. The second test was, was regarding reward. Look what he says in verse 8. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. She said, oh, the Lord's going to deal kindly with you if you go back. Naomi said, going back to Noab would include the promise that God would reward Ruth and Orpah for their kindness to Naomi's family. This emphasizes the prosperity of staying in Moab. And you Satan always dangles uh, 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 these, these rewards in front of you. Or these so-called rewards, I should say. He always dangles these, these, these promising things in front of you if you'll stay in Moab. That is enemy territory, if you will. Rather than go to Judah to be with God's people. It's a test that most followers of Jesus Christ have to face. That's a promise of the scriptures that many of us don't have underlined, probably. That in this world, you will have affliction. You will be tried and tested. And through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. Those are promises of God. You will be tested if you want to live for Jesus Christ. And it's a, t- it's a test that most followers have to, f- to have to face. There's also the reward in going to Bethlehem in following Jesus. But that reward always seems so far away and so much harder compared to what the world has to offer me. Ruth and Orpah, her daughter-in-laws, could find reward in Moab, which was close by, wouldn't have to make this trip. It wouldn't require the tiring trip to, the, the tiring trip to Bethlehem. Then there's the third test in verse 9. The rest, look at verse 9. The Lord grant that you may find rest, notice, each in the house of her husband. The word rest here, it speaks of marriage. We see that in chapter 3, verse 1. Rest speaks of marriage, and it's many advantages for women, particularly in this day. Especially in those days when a woman needed a husband in order to live prosperously. A woman being married in those days is a state of rest for her. Being married would guarantee prosperity for the woman compared to being unmarried in Bethlehem. Naomi says if the girls want rest, if they want to be remarried from, and find rest from the needs in life, the best thing for them to do is to go back to Moab and don't go to Bethlehem. So here's another promise of prosperity. Man, you know, you, you, if you go back to Moab, you'll find a place to stay. You'll be with your, parent, your mother who loves you. you know, you'll re, be remarried. You'll have a man to take care of you. And, and, and you'll prosper by going back to Moab. So here's another test of prosperity for staying in Moab. This last test. You'll find rest there. And the test of prosperity was made even stronger in in Naomi's uh, persuasiveness. In the way she gave this message to the girls. And you can see her passion. Oh, you guys, if you go back there, and passion and persuasiveness has a lot to do with how we give the message. You'll be better off, man. You'll find a husband. Your life will be better. He'll take care of you. Your mother's there. They'll love you. And oh, just, it'll be so much better. 
She said praise, she used praise, godliness, and passion. All of that would be included if you go back to Moab. These three things made the test of prosperity really strong to her daughter-in-laws. Verse 8 said, go back to your mother's homes. And she said, may the Lord reward you for kindness to your husbands and to me. The praise here is for the kindness Ruth and Orpah showed Naomi and her family. In spite of the death of of their husbands, Ruth and Orpah continued to honor their mother-in-law. Naomi gives them high praise for this by telling them that, hey, God's going to reward you for your exceptionally kind behavior. Even though the praise is for real, the problem with the praise is that when it's given with a temptation, it usually softens a person up. And they give in to the temptation. And the temptation was to go back to Moab, which would be a mistake for both women. But you see, they got so much praise that it was hard for them to go against Naomi's advice. You have to be careful when praise comes with an offer to walk contrary with God. You have to be careful when praise comes when it's an offer to disobey what God has said. Now, the praise may be justified, but the timing can end up being a trap. And that's why we should never be concerned about praise for ourselves. Make sure God is praised. But don't worry whether or not you're praised. Another test in the promise of prosperity was godliness. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. Notice what she said. May the Lord reward you for your kindness, and may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Temptation really comes... Uh, 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 a lot of times temptation comes in godly language that's what makes evil look so acceptable all the talk about Jehovah bringing prosperity in Moab made stain in Moab look like it was the thing to do oh God would be so happy if you do this so this would make it hard to pass that test of prosperity the last test test was passion verse 9 says notice she kissed them goodbye The passionate affection of Naomi to the girls gave a lot of approval to what she said. For the the girls to go for the prosperity in Moab. And as a result, failed the test of their decision to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Naomi's show of affection would tell the girls that if they stayed in Moab, it would separate them from her. Kissing was simply another encouragement to go, from the, uh, go for the prosperity and forget about their decision to go to Bethlehem. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. So both Ruth and Orpah passed the test of prosperity. They refused to let the promise of all the things that Naomi told them to keep them. It kept them from going to idolatrous Moab. A lot of people every day go for the prosperity and the damage of their character and other godly decisions in order to obtain the gain, the things of this world. Man, it's not easy to keep your holy decisions when, when these kinds of promises are dangled before you. 
In Luke 18, 18, the rich young ruler, remember, he let wealth destroy his good decision to follow Jesus. When he asked Jesus, Lord, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And it said he went away sorrowful. He turned away from Jesus because he wouldn't give up his wealth. His desire to follow Jesus was destroyed by his desire for prosperity. Even though you pass one test, man, there's going to be others. Right after Ruth and Orpah passed the test of prosperity, they were tested with problems. Anybody have problems in their life? The particular problem these two women would have would be finding husbands if they followed Naomi to Bethlehem. When we're going through difficulties, when we're going through problems, it's hard to remember God's word because we're so focused on the problem. We forget about verses like, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? You see, if our eyes are on the problem more than on what God says, our problems are going to be what stand out. Our problems are going to be a difficult test for us to be obedient and to keep our uh, godly decisions. Verses 9 and 10 shows there was a lot of emotion. It says they lifted up their voices and they cried. They said, oh, surely we will return with you to your people. There was a lot of emotion going on when Ruth and Orpah refused to go back to, to Moab after the first test. But showing a lot of emotion, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that what you decided to do is based merely on feeling. But when there's a lot of emotion expressed, the decision needs more testing to see if that decision is based merely on emotion and not facts. Because a lot of people make a lot of wrong decisions based on their emotions. Because emotions are a strong motivator. Strong passions without being made on facts commonly end up making weak decisions. We have to make important decisions and answers based on facts and not feelings. Because feelings, man, they come and go. But facts never change. Facts remain through thick and thin. And a lot of people have their faith based on their feelings. As long as things are going good, I'm walking with God. I'm having a great time. I love the Lord. But man, as soon as the trials come and things look bleak and dark and the circumstances look beyond my control, hey, it all falls apart. God doesn't love me. I can't trust what he says. I can't trust his promises. We have a lot of religion today that appeals to feeling. A lot of decisions and answers made at church that are under the influence of emotion. And there are many, there are many preachers that are so low down that they intentionally use emotion to produce, to produce and bring about more emotions or decisions and answers. But people who make decisions and answers, answers under the influence of emotion, they're like the seed that Jesus spoke about that was sown on stony, stony ground. Because when the problems arise, for the word's sake, they're offended right away. That's why testing is needed to check a person's faith and answers to see if they're real or not. Were Ruth and Orpah making this decision to stay with Naomi based on their feelings and emotions? Or were they making a, a good, solid decision based on honorable reasons? The test would show the answer, as we'll see shortly. Look at verses 11 through 12. We see the reasoning for the test. Notice verse 11 and 12 now. 
But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons. The two daughters-in-law started off with Naomi in verse 7. But she stopped them and she urged them to go back with her. She even prayed for them in verses 8 through 9 that the Lord would be kind to them and find them new husbands and give them rest after all of their sorrow. But what, are good, what, what, are, what good are prayers of a backslidden believer? Three times Naomi told Orpah and Ruth, go back, go back to Moab. When she saw them hesitating, Naomi began to reason with them. Look, I'm too old to have a husband. I'm too old to have a family to bear children. And she says to him, look, even if I could bear more sons, would, would you waste your time waiting for the years for them to grow up? You guys could be at your mother's house, man, with your family. You could be enjoying life. Orpah, the weaker of the two daughters-in-law, she started to go to Bethlehem with Naomi. It says they kissed her and they wept, yet she wouldn't stay with her. She was so close to the kingdom. But she made the wrong decision to turn back. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but her heart really wasn't in it. Was her heart really in it? Because her decision proved that her heart was still back at home where she hoped to find a husband. Orpah left the scene and she's never mentioned again in the scriptures. Naomi was trying to cover up. Orpah had given up. But Ruth was prepared to stand up. She refused to listen to her mother-in-law's pleas to follow her sister-in-law's bad example to go back to Moab. Why? Because she had come to trust in God, the God of Israel. In chapter 2, verse 12, we see that. Ruth had experienced trials and disappointments, but instead of blaming God, she trusted God, and she wasn't ashamed to confess her faith. And in spite of the bad example of her disobedient in-laws, Ruth had come to know the true and the living God. And she wanted to be with his people and she wanted to live in his land. Ruth's conversion is evidence of the sovereign grace of God because the only way sinners can be saved is by grace. Everything within her, everything around Ruth, hey, it brought obstacles to her faith. And yet she trusted the God of Israel. Her background was against her because she was from Moab where they worshiped the God Chemosh who accepted human sacrifices and, and that God encouraged immorality. Look at verses 13 and 15, through 15. She said, would you wait for them? To speak? And she said, if I had sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? that is, getting married until they grow up. No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Her circumstances were against her. They could have made her bitter against the God of Israel. Because first of all, of all, her father-in-law died. Then her husband. Then her brother-in-law. She was left a widow without any support. 
And when people get into this kind of a situation, they say, is this the way God's going to treat me? If this is the way Jehovah God treats his people, why should I follow him? Ruth dearly loved her mother-in-law. But even Naomi was against her because she urged Ruth to go back to the land of idol worship where, where the, her gods were in Moab. And since Elimelech and Malon, one of, one of Elimelech's sons, were now dead, Ruth was technically, technically under the garden, uh, guardianship of Naomi. And she should have obeyed her mother-in-law's counsel. But God intervened and graciously saved Ruth in spite of all of these obstacles that she encountered. Paul said in Titus 3.5, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And then what Ruth said in verses 16 through 17 is one of the greatest confessions found anywhere in the Bible. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. But Ruth said, and that is to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. And that's one of the, these verses I ask the bride to repeat to their husband when I marry them. First, she confesses, Ruth confesses her love for Naomi here in these verses. She confesses her desire to stay with her mother-in-law until, until she dies. Then she confesses her faith in the true and the living God and her decision to worship him and him alone. Ruth was willing to forsake her mother and her father in order to stay with Naomi and the God of her people. Ruth was determined to go with Naomi and live in Bethlehem with God's covenant people. But there was a divine law that said, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Deuteronomy 23.3. This meant permanent exclusion for a Moabite or an Ammonite. So how could Ruth enter the congregation of the Lord? By trusting God's grace and throwing herself totally on his mercy. Law excludes us from God's family, but grace includes us if, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. When you read the gene genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4, you find names of five women, and four of them, and they had very questionable, questionable backgrounds and credentials. Tamar committed incest with her father-in-law. Rahab was a Gentile harlot. Ruth was an outcast a Gentile Moabitess, and the wife of Uriah was an adulteress. So how in the world did they ever become a part of the family of the Messiah? Through the sovereign grace and mercy of God. Peter said, God is long-suffering towards us. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Mary is the fifth woman in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and she was included because of God's grace and her faith. Let's close with verse 18. When she saw, that is when Naomi saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now this doesn't mean she got negative or angry or upset with her. When Naomi saw Ruth had made up her mind to go with her, it says she stopped talking to her. That meant she stopped trying to convince her to go back. 
She stopped trying to change Ruth's mind. This is a good lesson about overcoming temptation because when sin tempts you, refuse it as powerfully as you can to let Satan know, hey, it's a waste of time for you to do this. I am not going to pursue the temptation. But understand, sin will never give up. Satan will be back. But you can defeat its attempts to defile you. You can defeat the attempts of that temptation to defile you. When Jesus stood firm and unshakable, when the devil tempted him for 40 days and 40 nights, it says in Matthew 4.11 that the devil left him. But know that the devil will return because he leaves only for a season. He regroups. And after defeat, he regroups and he comes back to attack again. As Luke 4.13 says, when the devil had ended every temptation, it says he departed from him, that is Jesus, until an opportune time. But if you don't ever send the devil on his way, he will stay until he totally destroys you. That's his goal, to rob, steal, and destroy. Amen, he's destroyed a lot of people. He's ripped off a lot of people because they won't leave Moab, the old life, and go to Bethlehem the land of God. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the beauty of your word, the power of your word, Lord. And Father, I pray this evening that all of us (laughs) have left the land of Moab, the old life, and we're living in the land of God, Bethlehem, his kingdom. But if you're here tonight and you've never made that decision for Jesus Christ, You're still living in the land of Moab, a symbol of the world, a symbol of the old life. But God's word and the Holy Spirit has made it clear to you, I want to leave the land of Moab. I want to live in the land of God. I need God. And I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that's your need tonight, as we're praying, just lift your hand up real quick and put it back down. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? Wonderful. All right, for those who raise their hand, I'm going to say this simple prayer of faith. You repeat it after me, but you're going to repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you I am a sinner. I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.